Hello, and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast. I'm producer Ruth Brown, and today I'm joined by St. Luke's physicians, Dr. Jim Souza, chief physician executive, and Dr. Lauren Miller, who's a maternal fetal medicine physician. We'll talk about some recent issues around legislation the state passed uh, this year. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. There has been a lot of discussion regarding the abortion legislation uh, this year after an attorney general's opinion was released on March 27th that stated physicians could be prosecuted or jeopardize uh, their license uh, for referring a patient to abortion, as well as several other concerns. He withdrew that opinion and it's been challenged in court. Um, We don't have a response uh, to that decision as of the time we're recording, which is uh, about three o'clock on May 1st. So today I want to focus on some of the medical concerns. Um, Dr. Miller, I'm going to start with you. Do you have concerns around some of the um, legislation that has passed regarding uh, your ability to offer medical care to your patients? Yeah, so the legislation in the total abortion ban has only an exception to prevent the death of the mother uh, without any health exceptions and specifically no mental health exceptions, um, even in the case of an actively suicidal patient, um, which could obviously result in her death. Um, So there are many things that affect our health um, that don't necessarily lead to our death in that moment, but certainly could down the road or could just be very detrimental to our health. Um, And unfortunately, pregnancy can exacerbate some of those conditions. Um, And from time to time, we do recommend termination of pregnancy to protect one's health rather than just prevent their death. And so we can no longer protect health in the state of Idaho for pregnant women who have pre-existing conditions or conditions that may come up during their pregnancy in that first half before a fetus is viable. The Idaho Medical Association this year did try to address some of those specific um, medical conditions in which um, maybe a a pregnancy would need to be terminated. Can you walk me through maybe a couple examples um, outside of the mental health, but some, some concerns in which a pregnancy would not be viable? Yeah, so some common examples that we've talked about in the media before are things like your water breaking before the point of viability. So what's essentially a very late miscarriage that hasn't completed yet. So say you're 16 weeks along, you know, four to five months into your pregnancy and your water breaks. Um, You may not have labor happen right away. You might not have any bleeding. It could just be that the water has emptied. What we know in that situation is that there's a really high risk of developing infection inside the uterus. Uh, Infections inside the uterus can lead to sepsis. Uh, Historically, we're a leading cause of maternal death before we had antibiotics in the world, before we could empty a uterus kind of on command when needed. Um, And so the standard of care for decades has been to offer completion of that miscarriage, which is termination of pregnancy in the setting of your water breaking too soon. Um, And unless we actually see signs of infection, we see signs of labor, something that could lead to the death of the mother very imminently, our hands are tied in Idaho. We cannot complete that miscarriage for the mom under the current uh, legal climate that we're in. Um, Another example that comes up from time to time um, is is preeclampsia can happen very early. So so preeclampsia is a condition that occurs. You have to have a placenta um, and the placenta can secrete some kind of hormones and chemicals that can make the mom's blood system act awry and lead to her blood pressure being dangerously high. Um, And the only cure for that condition is to empty the uterus to remove the placenta that is causing that trouble. Uh, So if we have a patient who comes in very 
very unfortunate, like 18 to 20 weeks, um, even up to 22 weeks when a fetus can't survive, our only recourse now is to send that patient to another state as quickly as possible to receive that care. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, Dr. Souza, something that came up quite a bit during the legislature, um, Idaho already has a physician shortage, particularly in rural areas. Do you have concerns about being able to recruit and retain uh, physicians, uh, particularly those with a specialty in OBGYN? Yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of concerns there. Um, I believe we're actually at the early stages of the collapse of an entire system of care. And the problem is that the momentum is all moving in the wrong direction now. Um, the greatest risks are to perinatal care, but uh, the risks actually go beyond that. So, you know, to put a little context around that, Idaho is a state where we we need to recruit 100% of our OBGYNs from out of state because we don't have OBGYN residencies. Um, we are, uh, as the largest healthcare system in Idaho, uh, struggling to recruit new um, uh, providers, uh, OBGYNs. Um, uh, more than this, you know, we were already number 49 um, in terms of the resources we have. And as I suggested, the momentum uh, for folks to, to leave and, and choose to go elsewhere is accelerating. At, at the time of this conversation, we've lost roughly 40% of the maternal fetal medicine specialists in the state. Um, and we'll lose all of the female maternal fetal medicine specialists in the state. And the maternal fetal medicine docs, for those who don't know, they're sort of like the safety net for, for perinatal care. Um, they are the um, specialists who care for the most complicated uh, perinatal um, problems. And Dr. Miller is, is one of those talented people. We've also lost a number of OBGYNs from around the state. I, I won't belabor the numbers, but that's already happened. It's happening. We've already seen labor decks in rural facilities close. Uh, we received notice in our healthcare system a couple of weeks ago that a large independent group would no longer be able to provide labor and delivery services in one of the larger hospitals uh, where they provide coverage for us. And that was explicitly because of their um, struggles in recruiting. And, you know, I, I think the, the entire system is starting to shake now because, you know, the, the frontline family physicians, OBGYNs working in the community, seeing the impacts on maternal fetal medicine doctors, who are the most in the crosshairs of these laws, are starting to ask, is it even safe for me to do this here? And, you know, a visual of a system of care that I would just share with the audience, it's, it's like a Jenga tower. And you can pull out certain pieces and the tower still stands and we make do. Um, but uh, as, as the momentum for this exodus increases, we're, we're going to have pieces of that Jenga tower that would, would literally um, uh, collapse the system. This is also more acute in rural communities. And that's in part because of uh, the fact that maternal services in some of these small critical access hospitals, they're actually the reason that certain things like 
you know, an anesthetist or certain imaging is available that allows other services to be performed. So when those communities decide, oh, it's too risky, we can't do this anymore, um, those other services can fall victim to that. And the providers who are there are broadly trained family physician providers who want to provide full spectrum care. That's why they chose a rural community. So when the rural community says, well, we can't provide this part of the spectrum anymore, they're naturally going to look elsewhere. And because of our laws across the state, they're naturally going to look to other states. Uh, Dr. Sousa, also, St. Luke's does have um, clinics in Oregon, correct? There was some discussion about that. Is that a concern for referrals in other states? Well, um, when the attorney general put out his his opinion, it, it just exacerbated, you know, the, the root cause of this problem of lack of clarity and fear. I mean, our, our doctors are operating under this idea that life and death are these juxtaposed either or decisions instead of what everybody knows. Life and death are at the end of a scale with health in between. And the sooner you act to preserve health, the more likely it is it shifts toward life. And the later you act to preserve health, the more likely it is it shifts to cause death. And you know, under that, that lack of clarity and the fear of the criminalization, what our providers at least had was, well, we can always phone a friend in another state that where all of these services are legal. It's very clear what the standard of care is. So, so this communication about, well, you, you can't maybe do that was incredibly jarring. And I, I believe it was the straw that, uh, you know, broke the back of some providers deciding to leave. Uh, Dr. Miller, the state has, the state legislature, that is, has let the Maternal Mortality Review Committee expire, meaning there will be no infrastructure in place to collect data on the negative health consequences regarding women who've died. Um, after recently giving birth or while pregnant. Uh, what kind of a concern and a problem does that present for your field of medicine? It's a huge step backwards. Uh, we were already one of the last states to have a maternal mortality committee. Um, these have been in place in other states for over a decade, um, if not longer in other places. 49 states have formal review committees, um, and so now we are one of only two who do not. Uh, because that was the number before we stepped down from having it. Um, they are the pinnacle of having knowledge of how to act, right? It's how we learned historically that seatbelts are safe, right? We learn um, from experience of looking back at how people have died over the years, right? And that, and we implement these things. And without looking uh, at what is the root cause of deaths for our, our mothers in this state, we don't know how to put in place public health initiatives to solve those problems and prevent death. Knowledge is power. Um, and, and so this was really disappointing. Um, it's essentially a budget neutral committee. It's volunteers. Um, it's a very small line item amount just for a little carve out of support for the Department of Public Health to run this committee, but all of the professionals involved in it volunteer their time. I have volunteered on one in another state um, where I formerly worked and um, it's very meaningful work. The providers would absolutely continue to do it uh, pro bono. Um, it was really a no brainer to continue it and a huge disappointment um, in our state's ability to be forward looking uh, towards the future and, and not trying to go back to the 1800s. Where does Idaho stand as far as our rate of maternal mortality? I believe in the last report, 
they um, were above the national average. Could you speak to that at all? Uh, yeah, we don't have the final data on the most recent years. You always have to do this a couple of years in retrospect. Um, and so that final report isn't out. But yes, uh, the numbers you have there did show that we were significantly worse than the majority of the country. So we clearly had some work to do. Uh, but only having had the committee around for two years, we don't have a huge amount of data um, to look back compared to other states, which is certainly needed. What do OBGYNs in Idaho need from the state to better serve Idaho? We need the doctor-patient relationship to remain private. These are personal decisions, and whether we're talking about abortion or if we're talking about gender-affirming care or one's decision to have a vasectomy, uh, all of these are personal, private things that should not have government interference, let alone fear, put into the position of making these decisions for what's the best plan for your family. You know, at a minimum, the physicians and the providers need health exceptions so that we don't have maternal deaths occurring because we couldn't act until it was too late. Uh, and I think that's a lot of that fear of the referral, uh, the potential of not being able to refer a patient is, you know, I spoke about that patient, you know, sending with preeclampsia at 18 weeks. Right now, I would hustle to get that patient to another state if a termination of pregnancy is what we deem as the correct standard of care. And if I can't transport her until I'm certain she's going to die, there's a very high chance she now is going to die. So we must have health exceptions at a bare minimum. I agree with uh, Dr. Miller. Um, so I'll, I'll restrict my comments to what I heard there is like, what do the individual providers need? I think what the system of care needs is uh, hope that there's actually, uh, number one, an understanding of what's starting to happen in terms of this unraveling. Number two, that that's important. And number three, that there's an interest in taking action to stop that. Um, you know, what, what does that look like? I, I'm not sure. Um, I don't know if it's only conversations that are robust that are leading into the next legislative session. I don't know if it's an effort at a special session. Um, but I do know in order to switch momentum, we, we, the system needs um, our providers to believe that there's a chance to get out from this cloud of uncertainty, lack of clarity, criminalization of medical decision making. Um, talk, talk about this and help more people understand hopefully what's really happening now. It's happened. Dr. Suzer, Dr. Miller, I appreciate both your time. Idaho reports will continue to follow the federal pace, but uh, as of today, we don't have a decision. Either way, um, both of you have a good afternoon and thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Marcia Franklin, the producer and host of Dialogue. For more than 25 years, we've been bringing you conversations that matter. 
More than 150 of those conversations are with writers, and now you can take them with you wherever you go, while you're walking, around the house, or in the car. Just search for Dialogue with Marsha Franklin on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms, and remember to subscribe so that new shows download automatically. Enjoy.